unscripted, unbound, unconditional. Welcome to The Well Unfiltered. I'm Mindy. I'm Nicole. And we are the hosts of The Well Unfiltered podcast. Where each episode you'll hear unscripted faith stories that will make you think. Unbound life lessons that will crack you up. I'm talking adjust your waistband laughter. But most of all, unconditional grace and love that will help you connect to God and to other women. Welcome to The Well Unfiltered. Well, we are so excited to be back here on The Well Unfiltered. I am Mindy, and I'm here with my co-host. Hello, it's Pastor Nicole Caldwell Gross here, and I'm just as excited. Yes, just as excited as me. That's good. (laughs) (laughs) We match each other in our excitement. Um, We, I really am so excited today because today we have a very special guest. We have Angela Williams-Gorell on with us today to talk about joy. And I have to tell you just a tiny bit of a backstory with Angela. So I've known Angela since we were in seminary at Fuller and we used to do some youth ministry things together, which I feel like could be a whole different podcast, but we will not <laughs> we will not expand on all of that today. But she is an assistant professor of practical theology at Baylor University at Truett Seminary. Um, she's a PhD in practical theology from Fuller and she's an ordained pastor with 14 years of ministry experience. And Angela is also the author of what I think is just an amazing book. I've talked to a lot of people about this book. It's the truth, Angela. I'm not just saying it because you're here with us. It's called The Gravity of Joy. And that's why we're talking to her today, because she has such a beautiful and full perspective on joy. And I need to tell you, Angela, I don't know if I told you this in my email when I asked you to be on the wall with us, but when I read your book, I actually read it for a sermon prep because I was preaching on joy. And I brought it with me to the community pool because I'm in this great part of my life where my oldest is old enough to like swim on her own. And I can do what I call sittervising when you sit and just watch your child do things. So I brought this book, which this book is like beautiful as bright color. I'm like, yay, I'm going to bring this book to the pool. It's gonna be great. So then all of a sudden I'm weeping. I'm weeping at the community pool and thinking this book is amazing. I am crying my face off. Like I know everyone at this pool because this is my neighborhood pool. So I just want you to know that's the impact that this book had. Um, Well, first of all, I'm very honored to be hanging out with both of you. I love hanging out with other women in ministry. It makes my heart so happy. It makes my heart sing. Um, And so, yeah, I just love talking to other women who um, are partners with me in um, ministering to other people, investing in their lives, and grateful for the work that both of you do um, at your church and in your community um, and with your families, too. And I, it's funny, Kate Bowler says that her next book, she calls it medium sad. And I'm like, maybe that's, maybe that's a good description, but also, you know, there's something about joy. um, And I do talk about all these dimensions of joy. And that's, what's so beautiful about it is how modifiable it is. It's very modifiable in a way that other emotions aren't, but like they're healing joy, sobering joy, quiet joy, exuberant joy, you know? And so joy has this way, even when it is exuberant of sort of, you, you don't know what to like to do with it because when it fills you up, it's like a lot, you know? So even in the moments in the book, when it's exuberant, when you're just like, oh, this is so beautiful. Like this is good, life is good. It's also, it's, you know, it's sort of, you cry no matter what kind of joy, I think. <laughs> I do, I do cry a lot, joyful or not. <laughs> oh my goodness. I love that. So I don't think I've ever heard someone talk about joy as modifiable. 
Yeah, yeah wanna, I, this I, is not on our question sheet at all, but I want to know more about that because I think that's a really interesting way to talk about joy. I mean, I think when you just think about other emotions, sadness or happiness or, you know, any number of emotions we can name, I don't think that we think of them so much as like different kinds or dimensions, but there's something about the profundity of joy. This is why I think Thomas Aquinas, Aquinas might have said that joy is the ultimate positive emotion. He says that every other positive emotion is caught up in the emotion of joy. Um, and many other scholars have fallen in line with him, like feeling like it's sort of the ultimate positive emotion. It's, you know, and even Jurgen Moltmann says that hope is the anticipation of joy. And so that's why I say in the book that I think, like a lot of people think the opposite of despair is, is, is um, hope. And I think that it's ultimately joy because hope is on its way to joy. Um, it's the anticipation of joy. Like I really love when Maltman says that. And so, yeah, the more that I wrote about joy and the more that I was like reflecting about it, you know, because I was a researcher at Yale in 2016 and my job was literally to study joy. <laughs> um, but then eight months into the project, I had these four weeks of hell where three of my family members died in rapid, rapid succession. Um, my uh, family member Dustin died by suicide at 30. Two weeks later, my nephew died very, very suddenly of sudden cardiac arrest. Um, we didn't know he had a heart condition before he died. And then um, my dad died. Like I got back from my nephew's funeral on a Sunday and my dad died the following Thursday. Um, so it was just in these like four weeks losing three people back to back. And so then I found myself at Yale trying to study joy in the midst of profound grief. Mm -hmm. And I really for a long time thought that just the work that we were doing on joy was quite trivial and that there were more, uh, you know, more interesting, important things that we could be studying. But it was as I discovered that joy, like thinking about the different dimensions of joy, it was as I realized, oh, there's like a sobering joy, there's redemptive joy. And even, I mean, what we see, we see these dimensions of joys of joy and the way that it's modifiable, like like what I, what I was seeing, it was showing up not only in my life, but also in the research of other scholars that were a part of the joy project, but then also in the biblical text. Like if we look at Luke 15, which for me is like at the heart of like, this sort of like the most beautiful definition of joy. I don't know. There's these three stories back to back of like things being lost and then being recovered, you know, but um, what we see there is like a redemptive restorative joy. Um, and so, yeah, there's just the more I thought about it, I was just like, wow, joy is just this very powerful emotion because it can be found. And this is why and I want to get into this with you all, but why joy can be felt amid suffering is because of its like modifiability. The fact that it's not just uh, like it's not just exuberant joy. There are other kinds of joy. And that's, yeah, why I think the Bible invites us to be more postured and ready for joy rather than happiness or other types of positive emotions. Well, as you talk about that, Angela, we also, we often hear joy defined as different than happiness. And I heard you just kind of position that in a different way. How would you define that difference? And what yeah. did you learn from this research in that? Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. I um, I do think that it's important to know in this moment that I'm a theologian and not a psychologist. Psychologists sometimes, you know, who are also people like who, and really the primary sort of disciplinarians who study positive emotions, 
Um, so a psychologist, some of them might disagree with me or might uh, are, you know, define them differently. But as a theologian, like when I'm thinking about it from a theological or from like thinking about study, the study of God or biblical studies perspective, or even like from a Christian, like looking at the Christian tradition, I think that happiness is, and well, and I will say too, um, I, so there was a book, The Story of Joy by Adam Potke that was very influential on, on what I'm about to say as well. And he talks in that book about the etymology of the word happiness. And he argues in his book that happiness is actually a much newer word than joy. Joy goes back to the Hebrew scriptures, to the New Testament, you know, whereas happiness is a more recent coinage, like in English. So happiness began to show up more and more in the English language um, in the 1800s. And it was used, uh, the definition was a calculus of material conditions. Mm. So wow. happiness really was, yeah, the way that we were using it in English since like in the 1800s and it was that we were looking at the, the materials, we had the resources of our lives. And what I would say now, we're looking at the circumstances of our lives and we say, I feel happy about these circumstances. And so I, about the amount of money I have, about the kind of house I have, or like the relationship that I have and stuff like that. And that's, I'm, so I'm not like saying that happiness is a bad emotion. But I am saying that happiness is more of an assessment of our circumstances, whereas joy is circumstance agnostic, I like to say. Joy can be felt when we're extremely happy, when life is going really well. Absolutely, we can feel joy. You know, I think about a moment when, you know, maybe you're feeling very content in your life and you have a great house and you have a great job that feels, you know, that, that pays your bills and your your experience you look at your kid and then you have this moment of connection with them and it's like so you can kind of feel joy in the midst of very happy circumstances but also joy can be found can be felt when you're suffering when you're very very sad and i think the probably the easiest um, connection for most people is just when you're at a funeral um, there's always or for many people there's there's usually a moment in either preparing for a funeral or at a funeral when you're thinking about this person's life and you're thinking about a moment that you had with them. And if you love them and knew them really well, there's likely at least one moment that you had that brought you incredible joy. And when you think about that person, even if you're deeply sad in the moment, you can like there's this joy can live in close proximity to sorrow and like share. I say in the book, like it can breathe its pungent air um, mm-hmm. in a way that like other emo- positive emotions can't, you know, um, and so the sort of biblical model for that, that was that really got me thinking about this in my own life um, and is Ezra three. And so one of the chapters I talk about how in Ezra three, a bunch of people sta- are standing around watching the temple be rebuilt. And part of the people are looking at it and they're rejoicing because they're so grateful that this temple is being rebuilt again. But then other people are weeping because they remember the way that things used to be. And mm-hmm. Ezra says it's hard to distinguish the sounds of rejoicing from the sounds of weeping. Mm-hmm. And I just thought about that in that moment when I heard that. And I thought there's so much of our lives are like that, where there's this clash of rejoicing and weeping. I think, you know, I think of like the day that you take your child to kindergarten. I mean, where it's just this clash of joy and lament, right? Where like, you're so sad. <laughs> I'm like, I'm laughing because we're both sending kids to kindergarten (laughs) next year. And so I'm feeling all of these things. Go on. Yes. 
right? I mean, you think, I mean, you're going to feel that like of, oh my goodness, you're not little, little anymore. Like you're still little, but like, you're not so little that you're not going to school. Now you're going to be like a big kid and you're going to be going to school and then you got to like, let them go and you got to watch them walk into this classroom. But then you're also so excited for them. And you're like, (laughs) oh my goodness, you're going to learn all these things and you're going to make all these friends and you're going to find who you are in the coming years. It's going to be so beautiful. And so, yeah, it's this clash of like, lament and joy and I think we feel it so much especially on days that are like powerful beginnings or powerful endings when you graduate when or somebody else you love graduates you know your wedding day like this or that like it's the end of one thing it's the beginning of another like this lament and rejoicing happening all tangled up together in our spirits you know I think you know as you're talking what I'm thinking is these are all very like big heavy I don't, I don't know if feelings is the right word, but I'm going to use that word because I am very feeling oriented, but you know, these are, these are really weighty things to feel. And I think that there's a little bit of, I feel like we shy away sometimes from feeling those things because there's some risk involved with that. Like I, I'm laughing again at this kindergarten thing. Cause I mean, I'm in that world right now. I mean, my daughter's in third grade and my son is in his last year of preschool. Um, and Nicole's got similar age kids, but I mean, the other day we were at the bus stop for the first day of school and this kid on my street, I've seen him two times. It was his first day of kindergarten. I mean, I'm crying. I don't know this kid, but I'm just, fe- the feelings are there. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to lean into this because I feel the things, but I do think sometimes we miss out on joy because we're, we're maybe like, we don't know how to access that, that big feeling. I don't know if you saw any of that in, in what you're researching or Nicole, if you, you've seen that too, but I, I think when I look at my own life, I see like holding back from joy sometimes. And, and as you think about that, Angela, I would also say that I see that in church in particular, mm-hmm. that there's that there's something about our faith communities that makes people feel even more uncomfortable accessing the full range of their joy. And to, to hear what, you know, you discovered in your research and, and in your, you know, scholarship on that and what that, and, you know, we pride ourselves on this being an unfiltered space. And we often hear from so many people, especially women, that they don't feel that they can be unfiltered in these faith spaces. What do you think about that? What has been your experience? Absolutely. I think that both of you are onto something here and you're thinking about very essential parts of if we actually want um, people to experience joy more deeply in our communities, we have to have communities where that's invited on a regular basis. Um, People actually need permission to feel pretty much every emotion in their life. Um, it's a like, yeah, so especially big emotions, whether ones that we would call positive or ones that we'd call what people, what people might call, uh, more difficult emotions. I don't think there's an, anything such thing as a bad emotion. I think that anger is, a, I think every emotion is a teacher. Um, I think every emotion has wisdom. And so it's about trying to get in touch with like, what is my like body? What is my heart trying to tell me? Um, I love there's someone who said that I think it was Maggie Smith in her book, uh, Moving Forward or Keep Moving is what it's called. Maggie Smith says like, um, like she's tired of hearing people say that, like, my heart is broken because it's like hurting or it's sad or it's this or that. And she's like, your your heart's not broken. It's working. Um, And so I think we need more ministers like you all 
um, and myself like saying to people, your heart's not broken, it's working. And so when you feel anger, when you feel fear, when you feel um, profound joy, when you feel, you know, when you feel sadness, like that's welcome here because you have permission to feel whatever you're feeling and to try to listen to the wisdom of that emotion and like what it's trying to say to you in your life. Um, and so very much, I think it's important that our communities are very intentional about welcoming every emotion like on a regular basis, but then also being very particular about, you know, are there times in our community that are dedicated to rejoicing? And like, what does it look like to build in ritualistic like practices in our community that help people to become more open to joy and to, in the words of Mary Oliver, give ourselves over to joy. You know, I love Mary Oliver says, like she talks about it being this emotion that we often um, stunt. And she says like joy is not meant to be, or to be made a crumb. So like give yourself over to it. And, um, but I think that there are numerous reasons why we don't when it comes to joy. One reason is Brene Brown says that joy is the scariest emotion of all. I don't know if you remember that, Mindy, in my last chapter. Where I, I do. Like, and you yeah. know I'm like a huge Brene Brown fangirl. So Nicole is just like beside herself because any chance I, I get, I'm like, oh, have you heard from my friend Brene Brown? I mean, she's not my friend, but I, yes, I love her. I feel like a lot of us feel like Brene Brown is our friend, though. She could be. Um, yes. Yeah. Brene, if you're listening. Yeah. Right. Brene, if you want to, yeah. Um, so, but she, and I get what she's saying because the moment you feel joy, you wonder, it feels so good that you wonder many of us like when I'm when is it going to go away like or I'm nervous that I'm going to lose this um and the thing is is that I will say that joy is more ephemeral than happiness I think we feel happiness more regularly like more often than we feel joy um you know so I think it is a gift when it comes and that's a, that's a very important part of my book that um that I want to drive home today which is that I don't think we can make joy I don't think that we can make ourselves be like feel joy. Um, we can be open to it. We can be ready for it. We can live with open hands and be postured toward it. We can be looking for things, you know, for meaning, for truth, for beauty, for goodness, for our connection with other people that are often the elicitors of joy. Um, and also we can be open to God ministering to us, which I think is the experience. I think joy is, as I agree with Andy Root, Andy Root says joy is the very being and presence of God ministering to us. So that's why even in the midst of suffering, joy can always, always find you, you know, um, because it's God's presence ministering to you. Um, and so, yes, I, but I think that another reason for one, it's a very scary emotion for people. Secondly, I think that um, men in American culture, I think period, just really have trouble um, giving themselves over to big emotions. I think that um, men in particular are told, you know, that if you have emotions to feel, you should feel them alone. Um, the the one place that it is different seems to be sports stadiums. It's like the one place where men will be like overly joyful, um, but it's because there's permission 
in those places. So I just wonder why can't church be more like a stadium? Like, why don't people have that, you know, because Rowan Williams, uh, you know, he's an awesome scholar who taught a Christian who talks about like, why don't, why aren't churches like places of joy? Well, I think it's just because we don't say to people. So I'm like wondering what would it look like in your church and my, you know, on a regular basis to have ritualistic practices that say to people, this is a place to experience joy. I want you to express your joy here. Um, you know, and I don't, that could look like a lot of different things. The other thing is that women, I think, are afraid of being overly emotional. I think we have more permission to like show emotions, period. But women, are afraid of being too much. We've been told constantly to be smaller in our lives and to be like pressed down. Mm -hmm. And so I think, um, and especially women of color, I think have been like told if you're too emotional about this or whatever, you're gonna be stereotyped in a particular way. Um, that's like deeply unfair, but you know, so then like women are like, well, okay, if I want to be taken, I think a lot of women, both women of color and white women feel like, okay, if I want to be taken seriously in this place, I can't be too emotional. Or if I don't want to be like stereotyped as being this kind of woman or whatever. Um, which by the way, my friend who's a psychologist here at Baylor, we were talking the other day about emotions and she was like, actually men are more um, emotional than women. It's like, according, anyways, that's a whole nother conversation, but actually that she's like, it's, I would love women, to have that conversation. Right. I feel like you need to talk to Sarah Schnicker. Yeah. Sarah, she's like, according, so um, research, especially on marital relations between men and women is that men are much more emotional than women. Um, and that's, yeah, anyways, that's a whole nother conversation, but that we are mischaracterized as being more emotional than men, but actually they're more emotional than, than we are. Um, but they tend to, she was saying to retract like into themselves. And so you don't see, it doesn't present as much, but there's that, but actually, so what she was saying is that in the midst of conflict, especially men's heart rates. So their, their bodily sensations will tell you that their emotions are heightened much more than women's in a conflict in general, men's heart rates are going to be much higher than women's. Um, they're going to like sweat more they're, um, you know, they're, they're, they're going to, they're like, they're going to be more stressed than we are and all this kind of stuff. So it's an interesting thing. She was just, yeah, but that's a whole, so, but I do, th so I, I just think there's complicated things, both, um, that are like related to ethnicity and gender with emotions for like all across the board. And as I'm listening to you, what's interesting to me is that growing up in a predominantly black church, I saw joy expressed very outwardly, uh, regularly by men and women. And I think mm -hmm. that one of the gifts of multicultural worship experiences is that people bring their kind of cultural milieu of how they worship that gives other people maybe permission to worship mm -hmm. in a different way. I've heard from some of, you know, I, I grew up going between a kind of Methodistal <laughs> church that was Methodist name, but much more charismatic in worship, and then a Catholic church. And I remember feeling at home in the quiet of you know this Catholic cathedral, and felt like I experienced one vision or or image of God, and then feeling at home in my grandparents' church where there were literally people after a testimony service shouting or dancing you know, expressing this incredible gratitude uh, towards God and, and expressing joy and seeing men do that 
in ways that I don't, I would not see men do in any other space. And I think it's, it's one of the things that we miss out on um, when we don't have that full range, not only of emotion that's given to men and women, but also that's given to people across their cultural experiences as well. Yeah, that's a really good point that you're right. I think that it's because I've been a part of different communities, especially in Los Angeles. There's so many more like like almost every church, like a lot of churches are multi-ethnic churches and you're going to get these different dimensions of, you know, but I also think Mendy, like I feel like in youth group that boys and girls, like teenagers are across the board, like super excited and really joyful a lot. But then all of a sudden you like get older and you stop like bringing that joy to church, you know, but I remember like jumping up and down in youth group and like, you know, there's like this exuberance about like, um, and just, you know, storytelling and sharing that was like, you know, that, that sort of gets taken out of you over time. But that's what, I mean, but when I went to this Bible study at this prison, as the more and more that we had permission with each other to dance and to sing, like the more that joy, like we gave ourselves over to joy on a regular basis, you know? Um, The other thing that I want to say though, too, is that I think there are ways of experiencing joy and rejoicing because that's a bit like we can't make ourselves feel joy, but we can choose to rejoice. Uh, We can choose to like find something good or meaningful or truthful or beautiful in our lives and to rejoice over it. Um, like we can choose that it's a way of like gratitude being a gateway to joy. Um, but I do, there are other churches too, that I've seen, like, I think that there are certain expressions of joy that are absolutely what we're talking about, whether it's exuberant, it's jumping, it's dancing, it's shouting, it's testimony, um, that I've experienced certainly in several different like church and Christian communities that I've been a part of. Um, and I think Joy Unspeakable, Barbara Holmes, like her work in that book, I think is like about like uh, joy in the black church is really helpful for what we're talking about right now. Um, but also there are expressions, ex- like I went to um, St. John's in Los Angeles. Um, I visited that church and it's an Episcopal church. And once a month from the front, the priest will say, does anybody have something that they're rejoicing about? Like, can you come to the front? And everybody like lines up around and so the altar's like raised, you know, it's very Episcopal in that way. Like, so they're, he's above everybody and he, everyone's surrounded like this, like him in like this semicircle. And it was a lot of people. It was like 30 people that came up and he went to every single person and was like, what are you rejoicing over this month? And they were like, my kid's birthday was last week. Um, like, you know, I just graduated. I just got a new job. I just, da, 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 I just joined something. I just, I've been sober for 30 days or whatever. Everyone was, you know, and he was like, we rejoice with you. We rejoice with you. Like that is, you know, and so that's a way of like, even if you're high church where I was seeing, oh, like rejoicing is a practice. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like that idea of rejoicing as a practice, because I do think, you know, if I think about my own sort of church journey, you know, I grew up in this very evangelical church. I was actually, when you mentioned youth group, it it brought back a memory I hadn't thought about in a while, which was when I went from youth group where there was a lot of jumping and clapping and all the things dancing. You know, I went to my college church. I remember the first week I, the music started, I like started clapping and no one else was clapping. And that was a very awkward moment for me. So I was like, oh, we don't do that anymore. We're adults now. Mm. We don't do that in our worship. And it, and then I ended up in this like Puerto Rican assemblies of God church in Chicago, where 
like if you weren't doing that, like what's wrong with you? You're not worshiping. And so it, it's just been very interesting to have that journey and see how that's expressed. Um, because I, th I think that sometimes we feel like maybe that like unpouring or outpouring of rejoicing and joy is, I don't know, like it's like foolish, right? And, and, and so I think sometimes we shy away from that. Right. I think that we can feel like it's foolish. And yet the reason for me, it was, it was really, um, so between, it was Moltmann, but then also Willie Jennings is the first person who helped me to think about the relationship between joy and despair. Um, because, you know, ultimately in studying, I, I began to think about my family's experience and I was like, okay, so I started studying and thinking about suicide rates in the United States and why they've risen so dramatically over the last decade among every age group imaginable. And then, and across ethnicity, it's just like, it leaves no stone unturned. Like suicide rates in America have dramatically increased. Um, and then the opioid crisis, which also has touched every generation, every ethnicity, and then gone from, you know, very urban communities to rural communities, to middle-class wealthy communities, which is when it really started to get attention. <laughs> like, you know, the opioid crisis has been in the United States for like since the seventies really, um, you know, but it's like only begun to get like more and more attention in the early 2000s when we realized that it was hitting middle-class and more like wealthier families. And people were like, what's going on here? Oh, and that's when we were able to look back into the eighties into the relationship between doctors over prescribing and their relationship with prescription like drug drug companies and all that kind of stuff right but the thing is is that the opioid crisis and i think it's interesting um there's a guy who wrote an article andrew uh, sullivan andrew sullivan wrote an article for the new yorker that was really powerful for me where he was saying that every drug um like the choice of drug says something about the cultural moment and one thing that he was saying, he was like, opioids are, are an interesting drug to think about because like meth makes you want to go, go, go and like do a lot of stuff and hang out with other people. For example, um, my, marijuana is a very communal drug. Um, there's other sorts of drugs that are just, but opioids um, make you feel warm and safe and you do them alone. Like that's why you hear of like people call, like usually the reason why there's so many overdoses is because usually people are using opiates alone so it's a very so it's like why are people like what is this longing for safety and for warmth and like this just like kind of coming into yourself like what, what does that say about this moment that we're finding ourselves in you know so between the op like the opioid crisis and suicide i was just thinking we really do have a crisis of despair in american culture like there's a sense and and I will say too for a moment just that I think that, so it, this it was like I was studying joy in this hand you know and then I'm thinking about America's crises of despair in this and I'm asking like what's going on here and why and I think when we look at the rise of religious nuns and duns in the United States and Dr. Lisa Miller has a lot to say about this she runs an institute um, at Columbia and she does amazing, she's a scientist who studies the science of spirituality. And so she, um, she says she's able to make correlations between the rise in like the lack of religiosity and spirituality in the, in the United States, less and more, you know, more and more people saying, 
I never grew up in a religious tradition. I have no religious tradition that shapes my life, or I left the religious tradition that I grew up in. Those are religious nuns, and the religious nuns are people who, I know you all both know this, but just for any listeners um, who maybe aren't familiar with these phrases, religious nuns are N-O-N-E-S, like people who have never participated in a religious tradition, maybe because no one ever invited them into one. But we've had this dramatic rise in religious nuns and duns since the like about 2000 in the United States and a dramatic rise in suicidality and in meaninglessness. And I think like Dr. Miller and myself and others are saying these things are correlated. Um, her science proves it as a theologian. I'm seeing it in young people that I talk to, like in a lot of the communities that I'm in, like people are like, what does my life mean? What am I doing? Where am I going? Um, and that's the thing, religion gives us this sense that we're going somewhere, that we're a part of this larger story that's being told. So coming back to Dr. Jennings, Dr. Jennings said in a, um, in a lecture once at Yale, he was one of my colleagues there, he said, joy is a work of resistance against despair. And the more that I thought of joy as being a recognition of and the connection we feel to things like meaning and truth, the more I realized, oh, wow, like if we recognize and we work to recognize and cultivate meaning in our lives and search for truth in our lives and feel connected to those things, like the more that we feel like meaning has something to do with my life, the more that that resists despair. You know, and so it actually that's how it all. And so that's where that's everything in my life in my family's life and the research we were doing at Yale came together. And I realized, no, joy is not trivial. Like joy is not a shallow thing. Like joy is extremely important. Like we need to feel the presence of God ministering to us. We need to have a sense that there our lives have meaning, you know, and feel connected to that. I wonder if and I know we're getting close on time because we can't stop listening and writing down quotes and being inspired by what you're sharing with us. But as you think about the relationship between despair and joy, I imagine that there are some folks listening and wondering, where do I start? I'm a part of what she is describing. I feel this rise in despair in my own life or in my family. And what would you say to that person? I would say, first of all, um, you're not alone. You're not alone in this. Many of us, um, just the last year and a half um, has been so difficult and many, and it's caused many of us to question um, the meaning, the sort of truth. It's been, we live, like, and it's not just the pandemic. There's been this rise of just a recognition um, and a, new, a newness of articulation around, I think how divided we feel as a people um, I think there's been constant division always, like to, to imagine that we've ever been the United States is, um, it's a dream, it's a hope, it's not ever been realized. Um, but there's, I think, a, a, a palpable, like we can feel it in a way that hasn't been felt like that, maybe quite since the civil rights movement. Um, and I think, so we're feeling that, I think many people, the pandemic um, caused them to lose their jobs or to rethink their work and they're wondering, what do I do next? Um, and how do I make sense of, you know, and then a lot, I think a lot of people are having to take care of children in ways that they weren't having to, you know, it's just like trying to juggle all these things. I think relationships got mixed up and got shaken up. I mean, just, and then a lot of people lost people that they love to COVID 
and to other like diseases and they weren't able to mourn in the ways that they really needed to. And so you're not alone. If you're listening to this and you're feeling a sense of despair in your life, you're feeling hopelessness, meaninglessness, you're struggling and you're lamenting, like we hear you and you're not alone in how you're feeling. Um, secondly, too, I think one of the most powerful things that's happened in the pandemic is that telehealth has become a really powerful thing, right? I mean, I see my therapist entirely online. She lives in Pennsylvania. She's an amazing trauma therapist. And I just, she bills me for the sessions we do every month, but we meet on Zoom. Um, and so that just, I mean, and, and so because she's a really great therapist and she was right for me, like just, and we live in totally different states, you know, so I encourage you, um, like, you know, I'm in therapy, like, don't be, don't be afraid of reaching out. I also have a spiritual director. I know other people like who have pastors, spiritual counselors that they re meet with on a regular basis, just someone that you can share your life with. Um, and then finally, I'll say that on my website, um, www.angelagarell.com. G-O-R-R-E-L-L, -L, so just two R's and two L's, angelagorell.com. There is a PDF. You don't even have to give me your email address to get it. You can just double click and it downloads for you. And that PDF is meant to go with my book, The Gravity of Joy, but it can also be used um, apart from it. Um, every single chapter has um, questions, story prompts and like biblical passages that a group could reflect on together. But also um, there are activities with every chapter. So there are nine gateways to joy. Um, so every activity is meant to literally be a way of like nurturing yourself to become more open to joy in your life. Everything from lament to gratitude to hope and so on. So maybe, you know, try some of those practices out and you'll find them to be, you know, helping you to be looking for joy in your life. Um, and also my book, if you download Audible, if you don't have an Audible account, you get your first two books for free. My books, so then you can listen to my book for free. It's me reading it to you and then delete your Audible account. <laughs> so you can listen to it for free. It's what I'm saying. I love that. That's the real talk right there. That's <laughs> those two free Audible books. <laughs> Oh, well, Angela, it has been so good to talk to you. I mean, I feel like I've learned so many things. I, I have like a new reading list now of all the Absolutely. people that you mentioned. <laughs> so it's just, it's great. You're doing such good work and, and I'm just really grateful that you would share it with us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate you all doing this podcast and sharing it with people. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, we have to ask you the question that we ask everyone at the end of our time together, which is what's filling your well. And this can be something, you know, very holy and deep, or it can be something very not holy and deep, but, but what is the thing that's filling your well right now? Yeah, I, I do. I start my day every day with um, meditation and I do I have a free app that's called insight timer that I use to do this. So I use insight timer and I have some get it guided meditations for the morning. Um, and that is just I while I start my coffee I literally I get out of bed and I start my coffee I'm one of those priorities people. like I need coffee mm -hmm. immediately. So I, I get out of bed and I start coffee and then I walk to the same spot in my house every day. And while my coffee is brewing, I do 10 minutes of meditation that starts with like breathing, like deep breathing, like two counts in, four counts out. And then for five sets, four counts in, six counts out for five sets, five sets, six counts in, eight counts out. And then this guided meditation and almost everyone that I do has a version of asking you, like, how, do you, how are you feeling that like you're paying attention to how you feel? 
and then you pay attention, like you, you name grad, like what you're grateful for. And then you name an intention for the day, like what um, virtue do you want to live out today? Like what sort of character, like who do you want to be today? Um, and like, so what sort of intention is going and then like uh, self-appreciation and affirmation. Um, and so that is, then I grab my coffee and go into like my prayer time. And the other thing that's just really filled up my well lately, I think one thing is, especially during the pandemic, I have just, I felt like I had so much to pray for that it was like overwhelming to me. Um, so I divided up my prayer list by like world event each day. Like I can only pray for like, like, well, like refugees is the refugee crisis is one day, like, you know, um, people who are enslaved around the world is another day, like war and peace is another day. You know, I can't pray for all the world, you know, but I would just, just get overwhelmed with like what I wanted to pray for. And then the number of friends or my students, my work, you know, uh, my family and stuff like that. And so dividing up my prayers by day and like having a list for each day. And then whenever I get a prayer request from people like, hey, will you pray for me in my cancer treatment? I just add it to a day and like balance it out over the week. Anyway, you all, that has been such a helpful practice in my life. And that's really filling me up. So it's like meditation and breathing, like guided meditation and breathing into prayer time that's very intentional has been really filling me up lately. Oh, that sounds so good. That sounds like a great way to start your morning. Yeah. I also do, though, quite frequently. I have a little home gym now because of COVID. Um, yeah. So um, I spent $4,000 on dumbbells. No, I'm just kidding. But really, they were way more expensive than they should have been. Like, you know, I, I read like every single person listening to this is like, yes, me too. Yeah. Me too. No, it's like to find dumbbells was like a thing. <laughs> Last summer, it took me six weeks to find some dumbbells. But I'm like a huge where I working out is like the, like my is a huge de-stressor in my life. So anyways, I just have a few dumbbells and like a medicine ball, stability ball and a yoga mat and a bench and like that I'm go. But a lot of times I will just play music and dance like in between my sets and stuff like that. And I'm just like, hey, OK, you know, <laughs> I just got to like. That's also filling up my well, just, yeah. Well, you have certainly filled up our wells today. And I know for those that are listening who are searching for joy in new ways, uh, who are navigating great challenges, or I, I'm thinking as a person who is also still navigating a grief experience, how meaningful it was to hear the connection that you made between that and joy, that this has really been a blessing for us. So thank you for your time. Thank you for this incredible assignment that God has for you in, in helping us to understand joy better uh, as people. And we just continue to pray that you would dance in between your, <laughs> your meditative moments yes. and continue just uh, being a bright light uh, for us. So thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you.